Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with Jarrell Mason, where we get the scoop inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me, I have a woman from the city of brotherly love, and this wouldn't be an interview with somebody from Philly unless we use the word John in about every other sentence. Hill Danco, Sugar Bush, backing vocals for Cher, Gloria Gaynor, Kathy Sledge, all of that and more and she's killing it in the social media game you can catch her on youtube danny g tv and i have herself miss danny g on beyond the album cover with me welcome to beyond the album cover well thank you for that that was amazing <laughs> i know i know. I didn't take you around with me as my hype man <laughs> yeah gotta try to do it old school like how um the late hype man for James Brown used to do where everybody would get all hype and ready for the show. Are you ready for start time? Because you want to make sure <laughs> everybody is ready and hype and get them all lathered up into a frenzy. But I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So let's go ahead and dive straight into it. So tell me about your early life growing up in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Sure. I grew up in Southwest Philadelphia. So, you know, it's a very particular area. It's not South Philly. It's not West Philly. It's Southwest Philly. And um, on King Sefton Avenue, um, you know, born and raised since the age of two, um, you know, single mom, myself, my sister and my mom. And, you know, she very much wanted us to be involved in the arts and culture and everything. So, you know, early on in my uh, formative years she exposed us to a lot of the arts she took us to see you know the famous show the whiz i was about six years old we went on a, a church trip up to new york and <laughs> saw their whiz with stephanie mills choreographed by my good friend mr george Faison. and um yeah i mean i think that was my first really you know entry point into musical theater and what a performing artist looked like especially looked like of us you know of color and um, of course there was TV and all those shows, but seeing it live in person really, really just stirred something in my young soul. And then fast forward a few years after that, I, my sister and I were sent to a performing arts school in Philadelphia on Broad Street. And at that time, it was literally down the street from where the old Philly International Records used to be, the building on 313 Broad Street. And um, they've since torn it down, which is so sad, but, uh, we went to a private school that was attached to what is now the University of the Arts. Uh, but back then it was called College of Performing Arts. And so it was a very small school. So, you know, thankfully that was where, you know, I was able to get really fine-tuned attention from my teachers. I had never taken formal dance classes, but once I got there in the sixth grade, um, I was always very athletic, very tomboyish, always jumping and running in the streets, you know, because back then you could. And you, you know, wasn't afraid of anyone snatching me up off the streets. We, you know, we would hang out until like, you know, the sun went down until the streetlights came up and, you know, your mothers and fathers calling you like, where are you? Come on in here, you know? So started going to performing arts school and started learning dance and theater and singing and choir. I mean, I was already singing in my church choir because of my grandmother. Um, but, you know, learning formal dance and ballet really, really just, it, you know, I took to it like a duck to water, so, so, so to speak. And uh, from there, um, a really good friend of mine who was also in our school, who was in my sister's class, who was two years older than me, Evelyn Watkins, 
she was already dancing professionally with Philodenko, and which is the Philadelphia dance company run by Miss Joan Myers Brown, the legendary Joan Myers Brown. And she said to me one day after dance class, you should come and audition for our su the summer program at Philodenko. They give free lessons to, you know, to young, you know, children, dancers of color. And so I asked my mom and she was like, sure, go for it. And so I went one summer morning and got into the training program. And just, you know, every day during the week was, you know, there having dance lessons with, you know, legendary teachers like Jamie Truitt, uh, Cecilia Moran, this is all, you know, all name, face, snow, uh, just so many legendary dance teachers back in those days. And about a year later, I was only 16. Um, she invited me to join the company. And so I was 16 years old, working already professionally as a dancer, still in high school um, and doing very well there. Um, incredibly, uh, I was able to graduate as valedictorian and I ended up getting a a full scholarship to Temple University because of my studies, but I, I went into journalism because I'm, as you can see, as you've seen, you mentioned my Danny GTV, I'm really curious about people's stories and I've, I always have been, um, where they come from, what they think about, how they were as children. And so I, because I was already dancing professionally, I went into, my major was journalism. Uh, but I was rapidly rising in the ranks as a dancer at Philodenko and juggling college life and dancer professional life and starting to tour it just you know it just was too much of a you know it was competing and so um i dropped out of college i did drop out of college but it worked out i continued dancing with philadelphia became a leading dancer there and eventually made my way up to new york to join alvin ailey american dance theater um in 1991 stayed there for uh about almost six years um, unfortunately, I had an injury and I had to, to leave dance. Um, but prior to me joining Alvin Ailey, which would get back to the music, I met and started working as a backing dancer for Kathy Sledge, uh, Sister Sledge. And so I was doing, you know, between gigs with Philodenko, I was doing side gigs with her. Um, and th this is when she went solo from her sisters and was working on club music and dance music. And uh, we were doing a lot of like, you know, gay clubs, gay pride shows and, you know, straight nights, whatever. And um, but once I got into Alvin Ailey, you know, six years on the road all the time, uh, it was impossible to continue working with her. But once I came home from Alvin Ailey, from New York after my injury, uh, we reconnected. And I started working with her as a dancer again because you know it wasn't that strenuous, strenuous the dancing that I had to do with her. And at that point, I had started, um, you know, dabbling in my own music and using music as a way to express myself and just my sorrow for having to leave Ailey so prematurely. And um, it ended up working out. She heard me backstage one day before a show, working on some songs in my head and just humming and singing along to myself. And Kathy said to me, well, I didn't know you could sing. And I said, you know, I'm working on some things. And at that point, by that point, she had gotten back together with her sisters and they were starting to do shows again. But all four of them could never make it work all at the same time. So she said to me, well, we're always looking for a third or fourth voice to, you know, do these shows because, you know, we need that, those, those harmonies. So she asked me to join what she was then the sister sledge and with me as cousin sledge <laughs> and then so we started um 
yeah, I started touring around with Kathy and eventually it became just Kathy, myself and another backing vocalist. So it was Kathy Sledge of Sister Sledge because then they started having their family drama, which I don't need to go into, but uh, you know, but it was amazing. It was amazing to work with her and get to travel some more around the world and work on my vocals, which led to me starting my band, um, Sugarbush. So that's how Sugarbush uh, sort of came to be, yeah. Okay, now I want to back up really quick to the Performing Arts High School that you went sure. to in Philadelphia. I'm sure it was like fame times 10 where you're sizing everybody up in the auditions and saying, oh, I'm going to get this part. Oh, I need to watch <laughs> out for him or her because you're trying to take my spot. Right. It, I mean, you know, our school was so small. There was a lot more camaraderie. I Honestly, the the number of students in the school capped out at around 100. You know, there was the bigger performing arts school, um, which has since moved to South Philadelphia, which maybe it was some of that, but there were so, it, in my graduating class, there were like maybe 12 kids. So it was really small, um, and which, you know, we all had a moment to shine. It was, it really wasn't that competitive in that sense. Although you bringing up fame is interesting because I think the movie just turned 40 is turning 40 this year. So there's all these celebrations, I believe, Debbie Allen, who I adore. But you know who did go to my school um, is Questlove from The Roots. So Questlove was two years behind me and you know we would be in the, running around the halls and he was always constantly drumming, um, even then in fourth grade. But um, he then transferred to the public performing arts school, which is known as Kappa, Creative and Performing Arts where he met uh, Black Thought and they formed what we now know as The Roots, which is amazing. But we're still, we're still friendly. It's all love. Right. And also from that same former arts high school that Questlove and Black Thought went to, you had Amel LaRue from Groove Theory and of course, Boys to Men. Yes. Yes. Amel LaRue, beautiful sister. I've actually, uh, in my work at Summer Stage, I've gotten a chance to, to meet her and her mother is an incredible scholar a uh, black dance historian, um, Brenda Dixon Goss child. I mean, just an incredible, incredible family. Absolutely. Mm, and you mentioned Temple University at the top of the podcast. I got to say RIP to John Chaney, legendary men's yeah. basketball coach at uh, Temple. Took him to the Elite Eight a couple of times. Can you talk about the impact that not only he had on Temple University, but in and around Philadelphia? Uh, John Chaney or what do you mean? John Chaney, his impact on Temple University and Philadelphia in general, because a lot of people thought that Temple, with the way that he had his teams constructed, it was a HBCU, kind of how people thought of John Thompson in Georgetown. Got you. Well, I got to admit, back in those days, I wasn't that into sports at all. I was so focused on dance that, I mean, of course, we knew John Chaney. We knew about Temple Owls. We knew about all of it. But I was so hyper focused on my dance training that that's all I could that's all I could see. You know, these days though, however, <laughs> I'm much more into sports. You know, the last bunch of twenty years or whatever, basketball, uh, tennis, of course. Go Serena Williams, um, <laughs> Australian Open. She can do it, kids. She can do it. But um, but yeah, but back in those days, I was hyper, hyper focused on my, my dancing. So that's all I could see. Tunnel vision. Now with the Island Ailey Dance Theater, it's a big deal if you get to be a part of the company. And correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't Jasmine Guy a part of the Island Ailey Dance Theater before she got on school days in a different world? 
Yes, she was part of what was now known as ALE 2. Uh, and back in those days, it was called the ALE Repertory Ensemble, which is the junior company of Alvin Ailey. And so the junior company was started by Mr. Ailey as sort of a, you know, a way for younger dancers to develop themselves, but also for him to, you know, work out choreography on a younger set of dancers that maybe the work wasn't quite ready for the main company, or he would also give emerging choreographers a chance to work on the younger company to just hone their, hone their craft, um, not only as dancers, but as artists and as choreographers. So yes, and I also got to meet her on my travels with Alvin Ailey. Whenever we would go to California, she would come and see the company, come backstage. So it was, again, you know, dancers are a unique bunch. You know, it's always family, we always reconnect. Mm -hmm. Now, with the junior company and the main company, was it kind of sort of like how Broadway does with the main and the understudy, where if somebody no-shows or gets sick, then the younger company member stands, steps up? Well, no. Um, Alvin Ailey, I mean, especially as it is now, the company, I think, is about 32 dancers. So within the main company, you would have people that would know multiple roles in one, in one piece. So like if I was doing a lead role in say Night Creature, I would have two, maybe one or two understudies within the company. So the junior company was a, is a completely separate entity. However, the junior company more often than not, dancers from that entity will graduate up into the main company and get hired for the first company. So a lot of, a lot of first company dancers have come from the junior company over the years. Mm, so it was kind of like the main is like varsity and the juniors like JV. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yep. You're getting eyed on. And by the time you get to the main company, you're ready. And you know what to do. And we know Philadelphia exactly. musically for Philly International with Gamble and Huff, even further back with Cameo Parkway, Pop Art first put out some of the early hip hop records. Then, of course, the Philly hip hop scene, DJ Cash Money, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh. Yes. Three Times Dope, Lady B, Street Beat on Power 99. So can we talk <laughs> about the impact of Philly hip hop and just seeing its rise and later the rise of Eve, the roots, and then the whole neo soul movement that birthed out of Philadelphia? Oh, it's everything. I mean, I think, you know, Philly has always set the bar, I feel. I mean, so, I mean, look, you know, you know, LaBelle, you know, Patty, Teddy, you know, all of it. It's, it I think it's set the bar in so many ways for what we know now as R&B, but that was true rhythm and blues. That was true funk, rock, rap, hip hop, all of it. All that music coming out of Philly, you know, to this day, I, I mean, I still listen to that music. I, it's hard for me to listen to some of the music now and I don't want to sound old or anything, but you know, the lyrics, the harmonies, I mean, just that even when I started creating my own music, even though I skewed more towards, you know, rock and funk, but there were all, there was always laced with the harmonies. That, and that's because that's what I grew up listening to, you know, and not just, you know, the Philly groups, but Earth, Wind and Fire, Rufus and Chaka Khan. I mean, just, that's what was played in my house, you know, um, or more of the oldies groups that my stepfather used to listen to. Um, but, you know, and then even seeing, you know, the rise of uh, the Roots with Questlove and what they were doing with live music, Jill Scott. When I first saw Jill Scott, oh my gosh, man. She, I didn't know who she was. A guy that I was went on like a date with, he took me to this uh, open mic poetry reading thing in West Philadelphia. And um, it was being hosted by, Jill Scott. I didn't know who she was, but apparently she had just come off 
from tour, touring with, with the show Rent. And we went to this uh, little spot in West Philly and she came out, she introduced herself and then she started singing. And I was like, who is this? And then maybe two or three years later, this had to be, I wanna say uh, late, mid to late nineties. And then a few years later, I was in New York, 2000, maybe 2001 too. And uh, I got invited to a show at SOBs, which is in downtown New York. By this time, I moved back to New York. And uh, Jill Scott was on the bill. And I was like, oh my God, that's that chick from Philly that I saw. And by that point, you know, her album was out. The first album was out. And you know, she had like blown up. And it was amazing. And Music Soul Child was opening for her. And, you know, it's just, just incredible to see her ascension. So again, out of Philly, setting the standards, setting the bar. You know, so I'm, I'm proud of my roots. I'm proud of my roots. Absolutely. Right. And also out of that movement, we have Belial and uh, Floetry. Oh, no, absolutely. Come on. Yeah, I, I know yeah, my stuff. I remember what? that stuff all too well. I know. I see. <laughs> you probably know more than I do, but I'm sure you do. But uh, Bilal actually, funny, again, interestingly enough, um, in my post-dance music life trying to find myself i ended up uh being asked to join this swing band remember back in like um 97 98 when swing music had this huge resurgence yeah and so i was a part of this band called the big push and at that time Bilal was one of the guest vocalists and i remember meeting him and we didn't really connect i mean he was in his own space in his own world you know he's that cat right and uh I just remember being on the side watching him when he did his feature songs and just being blown away, <laughs> you know? And, and again, move fast forward in my life now as an arts presenter at the festival at Summer Stage. I mean, he's performed on Summer Stage a few times now. So I've gotten to see him again and be like, hey man, good to see you. So again, it's all love in this, in this arts and music world. Mm, so it sounds like Philadelphia, like Atlanta, is very much a big community and everybody knows everybody. So when one person gets on, you kind of do what you can to see if you can help somebody else along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even again, in my role as a presenter now here in New York um, at the festival at Summer Stage, where I present all the dance performances, I've had numerous dance companies from Philadelphia come up to New York and perform um, in our various park stages, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now with dance, did you have to learn all styles of dance or was it particular to one style of dance or you had to be more than just a one trick pony? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, you, you try to take everything, or at least you should, I feel like if you, especially these days, I mean, kids today have to really be well-versed in all styles. If you want to get the gig, I mean, it could call for anything. If it's, ballet, hip hop, whatever. But uh, training at Philodanko, yeah, we were taught everything. We were, we even had tap. I mean, you know, African, ballet, um, modern, Dunham, Horton, all of the above. So because Philodanko is known as a repertory company, which means that, you know, one ballet could be, you know, a very balletic, you know, ballet. And then the next work could be very jazzy. The next work could be like based in African and African and dance. So you know, you really had to be well-versed in all styles. And that helped me greatly when I got up to Alvin Ailey because it's very similar in that it's a repertory company. And so, you know, you have to be able to do it all. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also I forgot to mention Hall & Oates from Philly. 
Listen, yo, when I tell you, that was actually the first concert I ever went to was to see Hall & Oates. My mom took me to see them. She was a fan as well at the Man Music Center. <laughs> I think I was like nine. And um, I, I got to say, I have a crush. I have a crush on Daryl Hall. I got to say, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but yeah, man, those, those, those cats, amazing. We almost actually... Um, in this digital space that we're in now with summer stage, we almost booked Daryl Hall for a virtual show this past summer. And I was working on that deal for our festival and it, it fell through, but it would have been amazing. Yeah, Daryl Hall and John Notes always gets a pass to the cookout or at least a nice size cheesesteak from Gino's or Pops. <laughs> All right, yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, so now going back to Boys to Men, when they first dropped with Motown Philly in 91 off the mm. High Harmony album, which was produced by a young up and coming Dallas Austin. Did you think yes. that these four guys from right here would change the face of pop music as we know it? Because pretty much every male R&B and pop group that has came after them has followed their blueprint vocally. You know, again, you know, when you're in it and when you're in the moment, you're just loving it. You're you're grooving to it and you're dancing. You're not thinking beyond that. You know, you're you're in the basement, you know, grooving and grinding with your, you know, with your boo. So, you know, then you see them again blowing up. You're like, oh snap, you know, look at them. So when you're in the moment, you're not thinking that way. You're just having a good time. So I'm just proud to see that they've maintained and that, you know, they're still doing it. They're still out there. And, and, I, and I love that. And I love that for them. Yeah. My wife and I got a chance to see their Vegas residency a couple of years ago. And I was still amazed right. at the fact how good they sounded. And also the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree with one more Wanye's kids. I mean, the oldest one, carbon copy of Wanye. I love, you know, and that's the thing about these, uh, these groups that, are like a legacy when they start bringing their children in. And some people get a little weird about it, but I look at somebody like Kathy Sledge, right? Right now, uh, you know, her, her daughter, Kristen, has been touring with her of late and they recently started um, an Instagram live series during COVID called The Family Room. And it's really picking up notice. And I think they're in talks now about doing a TV show. So, I mean, why not bring your children on? You know, other groups have done it, so it's not a big deal, but Going back to yours, what you said about maintaining, I think of somebody like Patty LaBelle. Like when you hear Patty, like she still sounds great to me, you know? And so, yep, yeah, and, and Kathy and Sledge. I mean, and they're, they're mature. They're mature now, but you know, they're killing it. They sound amazing. Yeah, because when I was surprised that Patty LaBelle did The Masked Singer a couple of seasons back, still sound just like the record. And even when she did the verses with Gladys Knight, it's like that nice piece of Patty sweet potato pie with your ice cold glass of milk. <laughs> when it hits, it hits. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting too about that is, uh, again, Philly is, is a small community of families, a big city, but it's a small city. And Patty's niece, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain moment. Uh, went to our school, Stacy. Stacy Holt, it's her niece, and she went to our school, so she will always talk about her aunt Patty, how great she was. And then fast forward, you know, I actually, when I was working with Kathy, you know, we would sometimes be on these um, these shows where there would be Patty, and there would be Stevie Wonder, and there would be, you know, so I got to meet a lot of my heroes working with Kathy Sledge. Um, and then again, fast forward once again to Alvin Ailey, 
my first year in Alvin Ailey, um, Judith Jamison, the director, who's also a Philly girl, by the way, uh, she was working on a, a ballet called Rift and Nona Hendrix of La Belle did the original music. So it's all Philly. It's all Philly love in the house. Right. And then also Philly alongside with Boyz Man taking over the music game with Motown Philly is so hard. And two, their whole phenomenon, Will Smith was taking the name for himself and acting yeah. and then with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Independence Day, the whole list. And it was like Philly was definitely on when those two really took hold nationally and later on internationally, where everybody in the world knows right. Philadelphia. Yeah, and you know, it sort of, I don't know, it sort of bothered me that people used to call Will Smith corny or that he sold out or something. And, or even like, you know, when The Roots started doing Jimmy Fallon, it's like, listen, you know, folks gotta live, folks got families to raise, but you know, Will Smith is great, you know, never got, well, actually I did get to meet him one time and it was like really random at a gym. He was in New York filming, um, oh gosh, what's the uh, Hitch movie where he was a matchmaker? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh my God, excuse me. But he was, yeah, he was in New York. He was actually working out of my gym. And what I like about, you know, his his vibe, like he's just an everyday guy. Like you, you see him, you speak to him. He's not like, oh no, 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 no. Don't look at me. You know, he's just Will Smith, you know, and maybe it's a Philly thing. I don't know, but very, very accessible. Right, because a lot of people tend to think that when you're big, you have your whole team saying no pictures, can't say hi, yeah. almost where you're invincible. You can't be touched. Right, exactly, exactly. Because Philly, like New York, and probably LA too, certain parts, one of those cities where they'll let you know when you're too big for your britches. That's right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Philly will let you know for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're not too big for an Italian ice, a cheesesteak, or <laughs> a soft pretzel. Oh, my God. There used to be, yeah, there was a Jack's water ice uh, but a block or so from where I grew up, my mom's house. And, man, I tell you, that, that place, it was in the summertime, you know, if it wasn't the, the free lunch they were giving out at the schoolyard across the street, we were online with our little quarter or 50 cents, whatever, to get some water ice and a pretzel. That was it, man. <laughs> snack, snack on yeah. the go, right? That's right. That's right. Right. And also, if you go up north, like around Philadelphia area, you'll see a bunch of gas stations called Wawa. Wawa, yes. they're known for their sandwiches, their yeah. drinks. It's kind of like an up north version of Sheets. I don't know Sheets. Sheets is um, based out in Pennsylvania and it's pretty much where they do made to order food, like a gas station and everything. Okay. So mm -hmm. Wawa and Sheets are kind of sort of similar, very much. So okay. But definitely go to Wawa's, get you all that good stuff and find a tasty cake because <laughs> nothing tastes better than <laughs> Oh my God, right. Intamins. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got to get all of that. So can we talk about yeah. the impact of Gamble and Huff and Philly International and what they mean to Philadelphia? I mean, everything, which is why it was really sad to me that they weren't able to keep uh, the building. Like, I don't know all the ins and outs of why they were, they had to tear it down or why it was allowed to be torn down. But, you know, it should have, I, I feel it should have been given landmark status. I mean, all the artists and the music that came out of there that, you know, created a whole generation of artists. Not only that, but influenced music across the world, you know? And so 
Yeah, it's just it's just sad to me. But you know, they're, they're you know they're doing their thing, gambling, happening. They've got you know their legacy to maintain, and um, I just hope that. You know, they, they need to be celebrated, you know, in a big way this year. I think, yeah, what did I say? The 50th anniversary of, of the record label. So I just hope that I, it sucks that we're in COVID and this shut down and everything else. But I just hope that they're able to celebrate in a big way because they need to be, they need to be held up, you know? Mm, I definitely agree. Release those Philly International catalog albums, remaster them, because some of you all know your first song about cheating was Billy Paul's me and Mrs. Jones. I didn't know oh my about cheating at the time as a kid, but it sounded so smooth where you're thinking about, oh, he's meeting with a lady and somebody okay. doesn't know that they'll be at the cafe. And I'm like, oh, you'll find out about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and then I remember, I don't know why he was over there. Maybe he was seeing somebody on the side. I don't know. But he was in my neighborhood at one point and I remember like just playing in the streets and somebody was like, that's Billy Paul. That's Billy Paul. And we were like, why is he over here? <laughs> so we don't know who he was seeing in that house over there, but he was there. <laughs> and Maybe he stayed Ms. for a Jones while. was probably over there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Knock on the door, hit the buzzer twice let you in and maybe that was where the inspiration yes. Mrs. Jones came from. Now Philadelphia hip hop I mentioned earlier the roots Jazz Jeff and Fresh Prince three times yes. we had Eve come out of there and also Benny Siegel and Freeway. And oh right yeah. listen to the Philadelphia Freeway album best early 2000s rap album for me because there's a video that gone viral where he was at a Sixers game and I guess they play mm. uh, what they do. And the crowd was all in it and hype. And it just made me want to go back to my closet, find an Averest jacket and a throwback jersey. Because that was my high yes. school right there. That yes. was Benny Siegel Freeway, state property movement. Yes. Well, if you want to talk about, you know, unsung heroes, but even though he got his, he got his flowers. Uh, Alan Iverson, man. Can we talk about Alan Iverson? That brother, I can't, it just, it just breaks my heart that that brother never won a trophy. He yeah. never got that ring. Yeah. You know, he was everything for us. And can we talk about Don Staley? Come on, Don Staley. Well, can I tell you a little tidbit? Yes. So I forget what year it was, but there was a year when Don Staley got a mural downtown Philly at, uh, I think it was Ninth and Market huge seven six seven story building of Don Staley you know do, you know dodging dipping whatever and um on the south side of Broadway's uh Broadway bro I'm sorry not Broadway Broad and Lombard I believe it was um there was a Philodenko mural that I was on so I remember feeling so proud <laughs> that I was on one mural and she was on the other mural and it just anyway Philly is very is known for its murals, by the way. If you don't know, Philly is a mural town, um, and so yeah, just just again, sports legends, proud of them um, and for what they're doing, and she and her new role, well, not new anymore. Um, what's the name of her her team? The uh, the Gamecocks, University of South Carolina. The Gamecocks, that's right, that's right, yeah. And um, and Alan Iverson, I don't even know what he's up to these days. You I think know? he's living living in Charlotte. Charlotte. He's in Charlotte now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. well loved, well revered, aka Bubba yes. Trump, for those that know him from the 757 Hampton Roads area, definitely <laughs> a legend. 
the step over yeah. Tyron Lue will be okay, forever played. Come on, breaking all kinds of ankles. Yes, it will make you look silly <laughs> while doing it. Everybody loves them. And also we mentioned AI, Dawn Staley, but I have to mention the late, great Hank Gathers. Uh, he went to oh. Dobbins Tech and went out to Loyola. Yes. And sadly, you know, ended up yeah. passing away at a young age. And Bo Kimball, in a tribute to Hank, mm. made, made a free yeah. throws in the NCAA tournament game like Hank would. And for me, as a college basketball fan, it was a shame to see, like, man, this guy was on the cusp. And to have him yeah. so short, it was so sad when Hank Gavis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so back to the music, back to the love, you know, what an amazing journey, you know, and I've been really blessed and fortunate to, you know, because of Kathy Sledge, um, you know, meet and work with so many great people because it was because of Kathy Sledge that I actually met um, Gloria Gaynor. We were all on this one tour together in 2006. It was, it was called a, the, the boogie, the, the boogie tour flashback boogie tour or something and so uh it was my it was kathy sledge and us backing vocals we were we were backing vocals because we, was, we we were sort of performing like she would back in the day with her sisters so we were all sort of down front but um glory gainer was on the show uh and the back the whole house band was casey and the sunshine band it was basically casey's show and we were like his guests and so but we all use the Sunshine Band for our sets. And the other group, how about, oh my God, Tavares. Remember Tavares? Yes. Heaven must have an angel. But um, yeah, they were great and to hear their harmonies and they were killing it. You know, it was a three month tour and uh, we did about three or four cities a week, uh, but it was, it was amazing. So just again, getting to meet all those legends and seeing their work ethic you know, ethics, just just really uh, important for me to see that. Now with doing backing vocals, how do you know the importance of being able to blend with the fellow vocalists and know not to pop out where you're, you're there to help the main, but also you can add your own spin, but not overdo it to where you're outshining the main person? Yeah, you know, that is definitely a skill but also harmony is a skill, you know, and certainly working with Kathy Sledge uh, with her sisters originally, because I would do shows with Kathy. Initially, I would do shows with Kathy and her sister, Debbie, Debbie Sledge, a real tall one with a really long, pretty face. And then sometimes it will be me, Debbie, uh, me, Kathy, and Kim Sledge. Every so often, maybe Joni, but Joni was living in Arizona, God rest her soul. Um, but mo most of the time it was me, Kathy and uh, Debbie Sledge and we would do a lot of European dates, but um, working with them, um, at first I was nervous to work with them just you know, solely on a vocal tip, not dancing, but I dared myself and it really challenged my ear and it sharpened my ear. And I, I, I realized quickly, especially once I started my own band that not everybody can harmonize. You know, it's really a skill to be able to, first of all, hear your note and then stay on your note, you know what I'm saying? So you're not like sliding around into the other person's note. Like you really have to, you know, stay in your lane, so to speak. And what Kathy Sledge taught me early on was to close your eyes, especially when I was struggling at first, to close my eyes and see the notes as colors, right? Because, you know, how they grew up from, 
you know, little, little, their, their grandmother was an opera singer. And so she was training them up since, you know, they were like three, four, five, and six and seven years old to learn how to harmonize and sing. And so she told me to see the notes, close my eyes, see the notes and see them as colors, just like washing and blending together. And so that, that helped me visualize the note that I was supposed to be singing but how it, but how it meshed with the other notes, so that it matched in tone and intensity, you know. And so, just working on that, working with them, and that way, when I started writing my own music and having to teach my backing vocalists their parts, um, it was certainly uh, helpful. Certainly helpful. But you know, there were moments when you know, she would give me a chance to solo. You know, give me a moment to shine, and even working with Gloria Gaynor. Um, you know, that was definitely more of a backing role situation where we never were sort of like out front with her until maybe like the encore, but we were up on our risers. However, um, I got to a place with Gloria where if we did like a 90 minute show, she would take a break like in between somewhere just to like rest up or let's, you know, pat, towel down. And she would let me come off my riser to speak to the audience, use my dancing skills, do a little vocal solo, introduce the band, uh, while she took her little five or so minute break. And so, you know, I always felt featured. I always felt like I had some shine. They would give me that space to do that. And even honestly singing with Cher, um, when I got to work out in Vegas with her, uh, we were for sure backing vocals, but there was a moment we did a medley of disco songs. We did um, Disco Inferno. And uh, I got to sing the lead on that while Cher took a small break in the back. So you know, very exciting. And, and, you know, I was like, what? Oh, I get to do that part? Because I was filling in for someone else for those six weeks. And so they were like, yeah, 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 you get to do that. I was like, okay. So, you know, I definitely have had my moments of, to, to shine. Right. So how is that like going out doing the Vegas residency for Cher? Because if, if you're an established act and if you got a deep catalog of hits, a residency is more money, more money, more money, okay. easy money. Oh my God. Okay. So first of all, um, best paying job I've ever had in terms of in the arts, for sure. <laughs> oh my God. That check, that check was cute. But, um, you know, I got that gig. It was, listen, you know, social media can have its, you know, its downsides as we know with the bullies and people talking trash, whatever. But the upside is you know, you get to meet people, you get to network. And I've been on social media now strong since 2008, I guess. But um, yeah, I ended up uh, connecting with this young lady on uh, on Facebook. First of all, my my all-time, all-time idol is Tina Turner, right? That's my all-time, all-time. So if I ever get to meet Tina, if you're listening, <laughs> please one day, can I just meet you and bow at your feet? But um, I saw this young lady on Facebook and you know you know back, back in the day I think it's still it's still that way where on the side it says people you might know yeah and I saw her on the side and uh, her name was Nichelle Tillman Nikki Tillman and I saw in her profile she looked all glamorous but I saw in her profile that she had worked with Nona Hendricks actually um Tina Turner uh uh Joe Cocker all these people but when I saw that Tina Turner I was like oh who is this girl? So I sent her a friend request and then she saw that I had danced for Alvin Ailey and that I was singing with Gloria. So we connected and he here and there we were like sister girl, you know, in, in private messages. And then one day she said to me, 
send me your cell phone number um, because you never know when we might need a, you know, a substitute. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Sure enough, three weeks later, I get a phone call, a voicemail. And it was someone saying in the voicemail, we got your, we got your number from Nikki Tillman and we need somebody to fill in for her for six weeks in the share show in Vegas. Are you available? I was like, okay. And hell yeah. I mean, there's way more to the story, but that's how that happened. And boom, I had literally two weeks. Like once I, so I had to send them some of my, my vocals singing. Um, they sent me recordings of three songs that I had to then take to a studio and record my vocals onto both the soprano part and the alto harmonies and then send it back, waited for a couple of weeks to find out if I got it. And then they got, you know, they, they called me. But once they called me and said, you got the gig, I literally had two weeks to learn about 22 songs. Wow. So I like cleared my, <laughs> yo, I cleared that schedule. Okay. I was like, I said to all my friends, yeah, I can't hang out this, these next two weeks. Yeah. And I had two weeks to get it together. Um, luckily by that point I was already working with summer stage, but I was able to like do my work from anywhere remotely. Like I am now actually, but, uh, yeah. And they flew me out, you know, all first class. It was fabulous. Um, and with the Las Vegas residencies, uh, at least for share, what they do is like six weeks in season and then six weeks off, six weeks on, six weeks off to rest up. And so I was coming in after one of those six weeks off. And so they were brushing up in rehearsal first for two days in Los Angeles. So they had to fly me to LA first and, you know, got to meet the whole band. And that first morning I walk in and, uh, you know, they were mad chill. You know, I think when you're at that level, you know, you're not like all dramatic, like, you know, you're chill. You're at the top of your game. There's no drama. You know, you're just here to do a gig, man. So they were all super professional, super nice. They welcomed me into the room, but they were about their business. Like, they didn't give me a chance to be like, okay, do you want to go over anything? The, the, the uh, musical director, who's actually now the musical director for The Voice, Paul Markovich, um, he had already prepared me when I got the gig. He said, listen, when, we, when you come out to LA, we're not going to have a lot of time to rehearse. So you're, you're going to need to know what you're doing. Like, we don't have time for you to, to baby you when you get here, basically. You get thrown in the so, Yeah. So when I got there, and actually my co-backing singer at that time was also a fill-in. It was her second round of fill-in, but all good. The divine Patty Russo, who for years had sung with uh, Meatloaf as his like diva rock chick singer. She's amazing. So, um, you know, the two of us. And so that first morning, Paul comes in with the band. Cher wasn't there yet. We were going to like just rehearse the band. And the first thing he said was, okay, let's run the show. I was like, it was sink or swim, man. It was sink or swim. And so we ran the show down, 90 minutes in, took a break, went to lunch, came back, and there was Cher standing there, ready to come in and now rehearse. And I was like, oh my God. So that I did allow myself a little moment of like, you know, I'm a fan. Oh my God, I'm about to die. There's Cher, you know? Um, but she was mad cool. Um, her manager saw me walking up. And I heard him say, oh, that's Danny. She's filling in these next six weeks. And she turned right around to me, put her hand up first. And, and that voice, huh, you know, that deep share voice. And uh, 
she was like, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this and have a good time. Boom. And we went, we did two songs with her. She was like, I'm good. <laughs> and then we were done for the rest of the day. So it was amazing. She was incredible, self-deprecating, not a diva at all. Like just chill. You know, it was great. Right. And you answered my question about the schedule of Vegas residencies. It's like six on, six off, because for those that have not been to Vegas, that's the primary thing to do is to go catch a residency show. Now, a funny story about uh, when I went to see Boys to Men at their residency out there. My wife and I, we were trying to find something to eat inside of the casino. And we were walking, trying to find something to eat. And I bumped into this gentleman. And he said, okay, I'm sorry, man. Then quickly went on his way. But I glanced out of the corner of my eye and it turned out to be Sean from Boys to Men. I literally oh, no way. bumped into Sean <laughs> from Boys to Men. And I was like, man, I bumped into Sean. And then the funny thing, when I saw the show later on that night, they brought out Mark Nelson from As Yet with him to film oh. stuff. And for those of you that don't know, Mark Nelson was originally and Boys to Men, but ended up leaving before Cool Air Harmony and everything to put out his solo album and then later went to go do and join As Yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. So, no, it was a good time. I mean, my mom got to come out and see it. I mean, she's a huge Cher fan just from back in the 60s and 70s with Sonny Bono. And, you know, she would dress like Cher and get those long black wigs and the bell bottoms. So, when I told her I got the gig, she almost lost it, you know, so I got to fly her out. She got to see the show. I was so proud, you know, um, and it, it, yeah, it was great. You know, my boyfriend at the time, he got to fly out. Some of my friends got to see me in the show. So it was a really proud moment for me to, you know, to step into that, into that big scale arena. Cause I think the theater itself held like 5,000, the Coliseum at, um, uh Caesar's Palace, right? And oh, it was also my first time. I mean, this was this was like big time, man. It was my first time getting using in-ears, in-ear monitors to sing. I'd never used those before. And you know, they paid for me to go get them, like especially, especially fitted for my ears. I still have them, you know, they're mine now. And so um, you know, but even even with the the sound mixer guy, you know, I went up to him and I was honest. I was like, listen, I've never used these. So can you help me out? And he was this really cool Scottish guy. And he was like, oh, sure, Danny, just let's, let's start. And then once we're done, just let me know what you might need more of. It will adjust it to your ears. And I was like, perfect. And so it really was an amazing experience. Um, and our schedule was, uh, I think they would do like two days and then one day off, two days, one day off. So Never got tired. I really took care of myself. You know, you think about Broadway performers, eight shows a week. They have to be really stringent about their regimen, you know, and uh, and serious. And so me not ever having done that many successive shows like that, singing, you know, I had to be really focused and I had a humidifier because it was really dry out there. Um, I got all kinds of lozenges and throat, you know, teas and you know, kept like echinacea uh, in my room, just sort of like, you know, all this, all kinds of stuff to like keep myself um, well for those six weeks and it paid off and it was great. Yeah, because I know some artists, they won't go into a room or a studio unless the room is at room temp or they'll ask you, turn mm -hmm. on the AC. Yeah, no, it's true. And, you know, in my job now at Summer Stage, having been a vocalist, having, I mean, I still sing sometimes, but having also been a professional dancer on a very high level, you know, 
I intuitively know what an artist might need. Like say we have water backstage or the, somebody brings water to the stage for the artist and I feel it and it's cold. I'm like, uh-uh, room temperature. Because you know, you drink, I mean, some artists do like cold water on stage and they can, they can make it work. Most artists like room temperature. Like for me, I used to always have room temperature because you know, cold water, <laughs> lock up the vocals. <laughs> you know, you're sounding like cat scratch. But uh, you know, so just knowing those things because I've done it. And so bringing that now into my job as a presenter or producer, so to speak, you know, I, I, I know what it feels like. So I know I can I know what they need. And if they're asking me for something, I I'm not going to say, oh, no, you don't. But, yeah, I do know that you need this because I've been in your shoes. Right. Because if you ever book a celebrity, people get the writer, know what it is that <laughs> they want, have it already there, rolled out before they <laughs> there so that you can be indispensable and that way you're not getting the wrong mix of M&Ms in the candy dish and it thrown back at you saying why they're not only green M&Ms I wanted oh, yeah. cold water and I want my cheesesteak sandwich from Pat's with easy onions <laughs> extra mayo <laughs> and cheese yeah, you know, luckily for me at summer stage, though, like within some of most of the music artists, we have an incredible uh, uh, assistant who works with us in the summertime company manager, June, and he takes care of all of that. I mean, because we're a nonprofit free festival, we can't always provide like the high end backstage rider stuff, you know, like the 15 bottles of, you know, Cristal or whatever. We're like, well, we can do one bottle of, you know, <laughs> the Clico, and that's maybe it. So, you know, we do our best. We do our best. Yeah. How about um three little huggies, two tasty cakes, and a Wawa <laughs> juice? You know what? I'm done. And that and that's my final <laughs> offer. And I ain't going no that's more. It. And that's and that's you know, it. honestly, even with my uh even with my band Sugar Bush, you know, uh that's when I that's when I felt like I was doing something really big. My first my first time playing at uh, you know, the Blue Note uh here in New York or even at BAM Cafe when, you know, they asked us, you know, what what would you guys like to eat before or after the show? And in all my years performing with my band, I had never been asked that because you know, you just go in and go out, you're done. And I was like, oh, I've made it. I mean, that's what I want to eat. <laughs> that was such a big deal. It's those little things, you know, little artist perks. Right. I know the joys of being big time. Now you mentioned that the band has a little bit of a funk and a rock influence. You mentioned Earth, Wind & Fire was yeah. also bands like Eleven Color, Bad Brain, Bad Brains, Fishbone. Any influence? I mean, sure. And that is hardcore, obviously. And I'm actually friends with Vernon Reed. So that's awesome. You know, I, I adore Vernon and his wife, Gabri. Uh, we're friendly, but, uh, you know, for sure, listen, listen, listening to all of that growing up. And some of that came when I went to my performing arts high school, um, starting in sixth, seventh grade, because most of those kids, um, even though we know rock and funk is ours, but a lot of those kids in that school were, it was 90% white kids in that school. So now I'm being exposed to, you know, Springsteen and Zeppelin and, you know, Pink Floyd and all of that. I'm like, huh. I like this, you know, the guitars, man. I just loved it. So blending those two things for me was was how, you know, my sugar bush sound, I guess, was created. Yeah. Yeah. And we cannot forget this man right here who, alongside the West Coast Pioneers Against the Rap, NWA Ice T, PSK, uh, 
What does that mean? Schooly D. <laughs> yes, Gucci time. Of course. Yeah. yeah, come on now. Yeah, I know, I know myself, Schooly D. If you are a hardcore hip hop head, you know who he is. He's more than just doing the rap for Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I mean, PSK, that beat alone has been sampled numerous times in hip hop. And of course, it was featured primarily on Touch Me, Tease Me, Case, and Foxy Brown on the Nettie Professor soundtrack. Yes. Now, yes. was there one person or one group musically in particular that you felt should have blown up more out of Philly, but for reasons or another, didn't? Stacey Ladisoff. I found love on a two-way street. Come on, man. Stacey Lattisaw, Stacey Lattisaw, come on, man. Yeah. I watched one of those, um, was it Unsung or Behind the Music? Unsung, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, man, she should have been as big as like, say later, years later, like the Britneys of the world. But mm. that voice was so pure. Oh, right. yeah, by yeah. far. For yeah, because I think the issue was when you were so mature vocally at a young age, it's hard to find material that it's because I believe yeah. that was Johnny Gill's issue before he got into New Edition where the material wasn't matching the voice, but once he got into New yeah. Edition, it all makes sense and it blended well mm -hmm. together with what they were trying to do, maturing, and his vocals mm -hmm. fit perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about, and even though, you know, she is still performing and they, you know, Sister Sledge had lots of music before We Are Family hit, thanks to Nile Rogers, you know, and, and Bernard, but, um, Kathy was 15 when she sang We Are Family. Wow. I mean, come on, man. One take. Come on. But that That's voice. when you know you bad when you can do it in one take. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So that's that's what I grew up listening to. You know, not, not I look, I like today's music. I like a lot of today's music. Um, oh, you know who I love? I love her. I love her. I love man. her too, who just recently killed it at the Super Bowl. Didn't she and Jasmine Sullivan? Can we talk about Miss Jasmine Sullivan? Go ahead, honey. talk about Miss Jasmine Sullivan in the hotels. <laughs> I just love Jasmine Sullivan, and I think she's another one that needs. Um, and hopefully, the Super Bowl maybe will do this for her. I don't know, and, and why they had to pair her with that cat. I don't know who it was. She was singing with no shade Eric on Church. him, but I I could have listened to Jasmine. All right. I could have listened to, to Miss Jazz about herself. We've actually had her at Summer Stage. And that place, let me tell you, kids came out. That place was packed. It was packed. And that voice, man, I just want to see her like, oh, they, I mean, there's so many. You know, there's so, there's many people that I know, even on my underground scene here, that could turn, turn run circles around some of these vocalists out here that are getting all this mainstream love. You know, every, every night of the week in, in New York, they could pay $5 and go downtown and these sisters are blowing, you know what I'm saying? So I, when it comes to that, like I'd rather go see a show where there's not all the pyrotechnics and, and choreography and everything else. Just just give me some music, just sing, just sing, <laughs> you know? Yep, have a nice yeah. little stage. Maybe your mic have a little slack. You have a small little band. It's intimate like a supper club and it's where you really get the hone your chops. So by the time you do uh, the big time, you're ready. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and I listen frequently to Questlove Supreme and uh, Questlove was talking about how the Roots had to go live in Europe for a couple of years while they were developing their sound. Then they broke back stateside because I can remember the what they do video with Raphael Sadiq on the hook and them just parodying the style of hip hop at the time. And I'm thinking, man, these guys mm -hmm. want to be something. And then to see where they are now with Fallon and of course Questlove with the Questlove Supreme podcast. And it's just yeah. amazing to see their transformation from this niche group to where everybody in their grandma knows who the roots are. Yeah, I know. I mean, again, I just... You know, sometimes I look back over my life and who I've met and just hung out with and to see them now, it makes me so happy to, when I see my, my friends get on, so to speak. Um, Captain Kirk, the guitarist from The Roots. You know, I was doing shows with Kirk back in the day when we would back up the poet Jessica Caremore on the scene. And when I was singing with my friend, uh, and my friend Greg Tate's band, who is a journalist, has a group now called um, the Burnt Sugar Orchestra Chamber. And so... You know, we just all come from that same school of thought, like just, you know, just just excellence, you know, just excellence. And just, it just makes me happy to see what they're doing now. Yeah, it must be something in the cheesesteak in Philly because of all of the talent that has came out of there and just <laughs> flourished. So can we talk about yeah, Danny right. GTV? Say that one more time. Can we talk about Danny GTV? Yes, please. Thank you. So honestly, man, I have been supremely blessed and um, all, all during these COVID, these COVID times, I have been supremely blessed to have kept my job. And a lot of my artist friends have, you know, had to either move out of New York, they've lost so much work. And it's heartbreaking, you know, having conversations with some of my friends, I just don't know what they're going to do. You know, if Broadway doesn't come back anytime soon, or dance companies folding it's it's really tough even for us as a festival you know having to make those phone calls and say to people your show's canceled like we're sorry so danny gtv started really with um me deciding to start doing instagram live shows every friday at five on my own instagram page danny g nyc and part of my reason for that was at the end of it or somewhere in the hour i would Ask the person I was interviewing, how can we support you? What give you know, give a link to your organization? You know, is there a cat? Do you have a cash app? What's your Venmo? You know, however we can help. And that's honestly, swear to God, how it started. My thought, my thought is I gotta help my community somehow. And I can't donate all my money to everybody, but if I can at least bring awareness to to my artist family and my community, whether it's music, dance, theater you know, all of the above, um, that's what I'm going to do. And so I've been going strong, like every Friday um, since April 17th was my first show. And people have seen donations come through because of being on my, my platform, which is really wonderful. And um, so people were always asking me, like, how can we see these after? I, I can't catch it on Friday, but can I see it afterwards? So it took me a minute to work it out. You know, I had to really learn some things on my own, like how to then upload them to YouTube. And I just really had to teach myself these things. And yes, yeah, so I've been, um, I mean, I had a YouTube page, but I really wasn't using it a lot. So um, 
I started transferring all the interviews, archiving them on my YouTube page. So I really want to start building out the brand of Danny GTV because I wanted to really be an area where you can learn about all things culture, you know, whether it's movies, films, jazz, kind of like, and honestly, I had the most beautiful uh, compliment the other day, like two weeks ago, an agent friend of mine says she loved what I was doing with my interviews and that it reminded her of Soul and Mr. Soul. And I was, when I tell you, I was so honored by that, that comment and that compliment. So uh, I know I'm on the right, on the right path. So trying to build it out. Um, I want to start trying to do more live streams actually from the YouTube channel um, and doing more, uh, doing bigger panels. So there's more people on the screen than just me doing IG live. So, you know, more to come. Uh, my one year anniversary is coming up. So maybe that'll be the first one where I do multiple people at once and we're just in, in conversation. Um, there's a few anniversaries coming up that I hope to highlight. There's a, um, a very famous solo that was danced by Judith Jamison for Alvin Ailey that he choreographed called Cry. And so this is the, um, the 50th anniversary of the creation of that solo. So I'm contemplating doing a panel discussion with some other ladies that have danced the role, uh, including myself. And so maybe that'll be the first bigger show. That would be really cool. I think that'll be cool actually. I think about it. So anyway, that's Danny GTV. That's the premise. And you know, I'm hoping to maybe build it out where someday I can get some sponsorship so I can actually pay people to come on. Because right now people are just doing it for the love. And so, which is wonderful, but I really want to be able to pay folks. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. what it's all about. Doing it for the love and then later on, more money, more money, more money. <laughs> and anything that I can do beyond the album cover, we got you. Oh, I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I just followed your page too. So I appreciate that. Yes. It's all about building, networking, you know, help everybody. And hopefully let me stand on my small soapbox for a minute. <clears throat> if everybody does what they need to do, I repeat, if everybody does what they need to do, I'll say it one more time for those in the back. If everybody does what they need to do, you know what you need to do. I ain't going to say no more then the world will open back up and we can be able to yes. places, do things and be all like it was prior to this pandemic. If everybody does yes. what they need to do, you know what you need to do, do it. I ain't gonna say no more. Yeah, amen, brother. Absolutely, right. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So you have your show tomorrow, right? With uh, Melissa Hazlip, yeah? Yeah, the interview is actually already up and running. You can catch that on my YouTube channel and okay. wherever you stream. So the Melissa Hayslip interview is currently up. Be sure to check that out along with past interviews of Beyond the Album Cover. And then in a couple of weeks, it'll, Mr. Soul will be debuting on Independent Lens. Check your local PBS affiliates for time and date. Oh, great. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've gotten really lucky with, you know, who I've been able to interview. I mean, you know, going through my Rolodex of folks that I've worked with or sung with, I interviewed, you know, Gloria Gaynor. She allowed me to interview her for like 30 minutes. We did like a Zoom record um, and then I put up, we didn't do live live. Um, I got to interview my crazy friend Felipe Rose, the original Indian from the Village People. <laughs> who is a who and a half, you know, Kathy Sledge herself and her daughter. I want to bring them back if I can. Um, because early on in my interviews, 
you know, I had an older phone and there was such a bad delay with audio. It was like, oh, these are killing me. You know, so I definitely want to bring her back now that I feel like my technical stuff is, is a little bit better. And so, um, yeah, and of course, a lot of legendary dancers, you know, I got to interview Mr. George Faison himself, you know, the Tony winning uh, director for The Wiz. He allowed me to interview him in his home. And that was, uh, that was a, a great interview. That's also all, all archived on my, on my YouTube channel. So yeah, I mean, if anybody's watching this and I want to go back and see any of those, those shows are all there on my YouTube channel now, uh, Danny GTV. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, that's the silver lining of this COVID situation. As much as we hate it and it's so sad and scary, some of us have really figured out how to flex different creative muscles. So I, I am thankful for that, for sure. Yeah, because I agree, because even though I'm working from home, it allows me a lot more time to focus on the podcast, figure out how can I make it better? Who can I get on? And just really reinvigorates that passion, that love that I have for broadcasting, what I was doing prior to radio and say, hey, I can still do this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I thank you for this. Any any final thoughts? Any final questions? Well, one thing I want to say is any shout outs you want to give, plug your social media and give the people your days and times where they can find live Danny G TV interviews, if you will. Yes. So my Instagram where you can find the Instagram live shows are every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, it's at, at Danny G NYC. Um, and Facebook is the same. I, just my name, Danny G. The YouTube is Danny G TV. But you can actually, I have two um, domain names that link to it. So you can, if you just go to Danny G Live, it'll also kick you to the YouTube channel. Um, and that's really it. I don't have a website yet. I feel like, I don't know if I need one at this point. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, but every Friday at five, that's where you can find me. I just joined Clubhouse. Are you on Clubhouse? No, because I am an Android user and I know they are Apple oh. exclusive. So curse you Clubhouse and your Apple exclusivity. Please make a Droid version. <laughs> well, I just joined, so I don't know how I'm going to use it yet. Um, I'm thinking of using it to sort of like have the Danny G Live after show, like maybe some of the questions that I didn't get to ask really, but then go to the after party and then we can like really go in or something, you know, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. So yeah, but that's it, man. I'm, I'm all over social media. I do have a separate um, Instagram page, which is actually called Danny G TV that it's nothing, it's none of my personal stuff. It's just all focusing on and uh, representing the arts. Because um, on my Danny G NYC page, you know, I got like funny memes and craziness on there, you know, more personal stuff. But um, yeah, you can find me. You can find me. You can yeah. find her on all those platforms. You can catch this interview wherever you stream your podcast. Just search Beyond the Album Cover and the video version on my YouTube channel, Beyond the Album Cover. Ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. The one, the only jack of all trades, master <laughs> of none, Miss Danny G. I don't say that. Master of some. <laughs> master of some, not master there of you none. Miss Danny G. <laughs> Danny G, thank you so very much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank all you. Right. Stay well. All right. Uh,